Hello and welcome to what is a rather dejected Ulster Rugby Roundup this week after the events at Ravenhill at the weekend. I'm Adam McKendry and joining me this week because Jonathan Bradley has taken a week off after all the drama at the weekend is my good friend Mr Richard Mulligan. How are you? I am good Adam, how are you? I am keeping very well. Back back by popular demand I should probably say. We've had people asking where you've been. Oh, there you are. It's good to be missed, you know. It's good to be missed. Which does beg the question, though. Um, I, I do want to ask you, Adam, a couple of questions before we start, just to put you on the spot. Oh, boy. Um, the only reason you've really asked me on this podcast is because Harlequins were also beaten in the uh, Champions Cup at the weekend. Uh, would that be correct? I can neither confirm nor deny these accusations. <laughs> and secondly, did you watch the uh, Racing 92 Stade Francais game on Sunday? <laughs> You know what? I did turn it on for a bit, and they are because I, I saw. <laughs> I was listening last week to you and Jonathan, and I thought, "Oh, there you are." And when I was, when I turned it on on Sunday myself, I thought, "I wonder is Adam watching this?" <laughs> no, I, I was watching the Rangers Celtic game, and uh, eventually I saw on Twitter that Stade Francais had made it quite close, and I thought, "Great!" <laughs> like now I have sort of like this obligation to watch it after what I said on the podcast last week. So I turned it over, and I think I turned it over at the exact moment that, uh, and I can't even remember the player. Was it Wasaya Naisalevu, um shoulder barged the guy into touch oh, yes. as he was going for the try and got sent off? At that point, I was like, right, well, that's game over. So I switched back yeah. off again. <laughs> so I, I think after all that, I watched maybe four minutes of it, and then I watched the okay. highlights, and that'll Fair do. Enough. Um, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> I let you put the spot on me now, as soon as I put the spotlight on you for a bit there. All right. <laughs> well, as Ian, as Ian Frizzell was so quick to mention on Twitter, were you devastated the Harlequins are knocked out? <laughs> I noticed Ian was straight in there. Um, uh, as I keep saying, uh, it's a very it's a very tenuous link I have to Harlequins. And in fact, I've, I've actually seen Saracens play Bristol Bears this year. I was up at the Tottenham Hotspur ground for that one. That was through my son, one of the boys' rugby clubs of the day out. Um, so I've been more to I've, I've seen more of Saracens live than I have Harlequins. Uh, look, it was uh, rugby was the winner on the day. It was absolutely fantastic, and you know, Quins came on stuck. Um, Fourteen points was too much in the end, and the Messiah that is Marcus Smith, as they refer to him, uh, just couldn't deliver. And and you know, that's what it comes down to. One kick. He's not the reason they lost the game. Okay, he lost the game on that point, but they were 14 points adrift. And when we talk about the two legs, it's maybe something we can talk about the, mm. the points difference in some of the games, you know. But no, I'm not I'm not devastated that Harlequins are no longer in the competition. My eldest boy may be, given his tenuous link to them at this moment in time. <laughs> and I'm fearful that there might be a few Harlequin fans out there who might know me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will talk about Quinn's Montpellier a, a little later on whenever we address the uh, last 16 ties as a whole. I just got to say, I think it's blasphemy that as a former Ulster, or sorry, not as a former Ulster reporter, but as, as an Ulster reporter, you've been to watch Saracens more than any other team this year. Well, I've been to one one live <laughs> game. Um, uh, and we do have a kind of tenuous link there too with uh, Mark Bacall and whatnot. And I wasn't touched with Mark beforehand, but I didn't see him on the day. But it was just the game that I think my, my eldest boy's club is attached to seems to be Saracens. It's not my choice. Um, I would have, because London Irish were actually playing Northampton that day, and I would have rather went to Brantford to see London Irish mm. play, play uh, Northampton. Uh, no, actually, it might have been Harlequins. No, no, it might have been Harlequins. No, it was Northampton. Oh, if it, um, if it was Harlequins, we'd be getting all sort of accusations. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, but um, it's nice to have that choice. And, uh, you know, I had almost planned a trip back to Belfast in May for what I was expecting to be a quarter final in the European Cup and I see now that Leicester are playing away to Leicester so I might maybe take a, <laughs> take a trip up the road to see Leicester be Leicester you know and maybe support uh, support support Leicester of course support the Irish boys. Of course you've got to stick with the brethren don't you? Uh, I, th- you I think, you I think that is actually something I, we're getting completely off on a tangent on anything that totally I was planning yes. to talk about <laughs> but I think that is an interesting point of all the options that you have to go and watch rugby you know like t- take any allegiances in inverted commas out of it but you know 
in Belfast, we are very limited with Ulster. And if, if you really want to, you can go a couple hours or four hours down the road to one of the other provinces. But in, in England, you do have all those options of Harlequins, London Irish, Saracens, all just around the, the London area. And you're yeah. not a million miles away from uh, if you go up to Coventry to see Wasps or Leicester, you know, the, you have so many options on your doorstep. And you're, you're, not, you're probably not a million miles away from Exeter either. Not totally. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a train journey down, but at the same time, it's log- logistically there's great choice, and you can get to them because the train services, or even the, if you want to drive, you can. I mean, it, logistically, it's easy to do, and you are spoiled for choice. And you know, we were looking. I think it's at Harlequins are playing Northampton up at Twickenham. Mm. You know, what uh, a one, game, one of those big games. Right? One of those big yeah. games. You know, and. It's nice to have that option. And it's, and the nice thing about it is you're going, as you say, you know allegiance to anybody, so you don't really care who wins. And you're very likely going to get a very good game of rugby out of it. And that's what you want mm-hmm. to see. You want to see a decent game of rugby, which European Cup served up at the weekend. And we're going to talk about that now, aren't we? Aren't we Adam? Speaking, <laughs> speaking of, you gave me the perfect introduction. Speaking of great games of rugby, you know what? On, on that point, I think the first thing that I want to say about Ulster Toulouse, and if anybody's coming in here, I can't imagine anybody's coming in here listening to this without knowing the result or what happened. But just in case you are, Toulouse won 30 points to 23 at Ravenhill on Saturday night, and they went through 50 points to 49 on aggregate. But the first thing I think I said, I was sitting beside Jonathan uh, at the game on Saturday night. And I think the first thing I said to him as soon as the final whistle went was, that was just a great game of rugby across both legs like you've got to give credit to both sides regardless of who you support of how you felt the game went of who you felt should have won or however you felt the game should have gone that was a great two games of rugby between two sides that are probably two of the best sides in Europe at the moment absolutely I mean and and go back to the first leg 26-20 it finished um, in France Ulster have gone out to the home of the European champions, five times winners of the European Cup, probably playing some of the best rugby in town at the moment, anywhere. And they beat them. And it was frantic, it was exciting, it was dramatic. You had that Toulouse coming back, reducing the deficit to six points, and then attacking again. And you were sitting there watching the game going, and you were almost going, go on Toulouse, go on, and just to get over and see the score to make it 27-26 because at that stage you knew the second leg was coming so even if Ulster had lost 27-26 they still had a chance the following week at mm-hmm. home not that I was wishing that, to, that Ulster were going to lose don't get me wrong but you know and if you were in neutral those two matches um, I mean I was sitting feeling very homesick watching that game on Friday on Saturday night because there was a packed Ravenhill first time and I don't know how long and you could even hear it coming across on the TV and you were going, oh, flip, I wish I was there, you know, and you were saying, I'm definitely booking my ticket to the quarterfinal, you know, um, and then that puts the whole scud in the thing. But, you know, the atmosphere, the game itself, top class again. And Toulouse, Toulouse didn't play as well as they had played the week before or what we know they can do. Um, but it was just, as you say, rugby, fantastic. It was great to see it. Um, I suppose if you look at the games that were on before as well, the build up to it, it was it was just a great it was just it was just a great Saturday afternoon of sitting on the couch watching rugby. It really was. Uh, I pumped the tires of the Toulouse crowd last week, and rightly so because they were superb. But I feel like I've got to pump the the tires of the crowd at Ravenhill on Saturday night. Absolutely incredible! Like that is hands down the best atmosphere I've heard at Ravenhill probably since that Saracens quarterfinal. I'm trying to yeah. think. There's there's probably been a game that's been similar since then, but. Certainly, you know, the one that obviously stands out is Saracens and the pack crowd that day. But that was right up there. Like, that's probably, it's definitely the best I've seen for a long time. And I think the game does kind of flow from that. I think probably there were a lot of guys on the pitch who were really drummed up and all the Toulouse fans were sitting down in front of us and they were making a racket and one of them brought a trumpet and it was uh, very loud. And I said at the start of the game on the live blog that uh, this was either going to go one of two ways. It was going to be very annoying at the full-time whistle or it was going to be quite funny to watch how they reacted at the full-time whistle. But um, no, fantastic atmosphere. And as you say, the game lived up to it. And I think, to be honest, if it hadn't been so close, you probably wouldn't remember it quite so 
fondly the atmosphere like you, you you probably would have thought it was more of a party atmosphere and you know by the end you've probably got those people who are maybe just there you know happy to be there but right to the end you know the crowd were still in it they were still invested it just made for a fantastic night out and given all we've gone through with COVID and having restricted crowds, having no crowds at all and slowly building back up to this, to be sitting again in a stadium in Belfast, 18,000 people crammed in to watch a game of rugby. I think we've just got to remember how blessed we are to be back in this position again because it was just superb. I don't mean no, to rub this in too much because you weren't there. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, 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 no. no but, but, you, but, but you could feel with the, you could hear it. On, on the TV and you could you, it was probably the best atmosphere of any of the games of the weekend even with games that were in France and whatnot you could mm. th- there was a difference in what you were hearing coming from there it was like in Toulouse the previous week where the crowd were vociferous and, and, and rampant and all the rest of it and you could it was of the of of the of, of all the games those two the, the, the ones involved in Ulster and Toulouse it was the crowd's atmosphere at both respective venues that really stood out from the weekend yeah. and the rugby too, to be fair. Of course, yeah, and we should probably talk about that. Um, <laughs> Donald O'Reilly, I think we'll bring in his question right now. And a 160-minute tie should not come down to one or two moments. So looking holistically, where do Ulster need to improve? Um, he suggests restarts would be a simple one for him and phase play would be a more complicated second. I think the sort of one or two moments he's probably referring to are the red cards uh, in both legs. Mali is in the first leg and O'Toole's in the second leg. Um, and then probably DuPont's try at the end. How would you respond to that question, Richard? What you saw in... What you saw in France was Ulster's set piece didn't quite function as they would have wanted it to. Um, and okay, a winger going off maybe does not have as much impact maybe as a player being sent off in a different part of the team. But Ulster, I thought, overplayed the ball when they got up to the French line. And you were kind of screaming at the TV, well, you for goodness sake, pass the ball. There's bound to be a gap outside somewhere. And if it's not quite there yet, if you start to move the ball about a bit, the gap will appear, as it did for Toulouse on Friday night when Dupont went over for his try. And I thought Ulster had played it very well. They decided to keep their eight forwards, and that was a that was a good decision from the coaching team to decide. Right, we've lost a prop. Let's make sure we have eight forwards on here. And that was key. And I th- and I thought that was going to be enough to 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 see them through. The restarts are an issue, but the, I think Ulster have to have everything functioning as near to 100% every week if they're to get over the line. The, the line-out has to work. The scrum has to work. The breakdown area has to be good. The backs have to work. The backs didn't play as well as they could have in Belfast as they had done the week before, and yet they still didn't. They still couldn't get over to get enough points to rack up a good advantage when you're having a red card. Um, so I think if it all comes together, Ulster are very, very good. Mm-hmm. It's when the wee bits fall off that there's there's a scrum not work. Well, maybe the line I mean, again, the line what was it, 80, 81% return in France and 88% in Belfast. Now, when you have the Arnolds in the line out, that does make it very, very difficult for you. And it was, it was interesting watching Toulouse when they contested in the Ulster line out and when they didn't. And that was key to um, the line out not being as successful as it was. Yeah, for me, I I take Donald's point that it shouldn't be down to one or two moments. The, The issue that I'm trying to align in my head is I think this game was lost whenever Tom O'Toole was red carded, but it was also lost a long time before that because I think if they manage those 10 minutes at the end of the first leg better, they come back to Belfast with a 13-point lead instead of a six-point lead, and it's a completely different yeah. ball game whenever you're playing at home. You know, French French sides don't travel well at the best of times, and if they're coming in with a 13-point deficit, you maybe see Hugo Mula making a few more changes to that team than he did. The six-point gap gave them that life to come to Ravenhill and think that they could get a win out of that. But the thing is, I think if O'Toole hadn't been red-carded, I think Ulster hold on for those final 15 months. I don't think there was enough between Toulouse and Ulster on the night that 
okay, look, Toulouse could have scored, but I think Ulster were probably comfortable enough that they would have held out. Or at the very least, if Toulouse had scored, they might have had more of that emphasis to try and go on and get something back in the last five minutes after Dupont had scored. So, and look, again, I'm not laying the blame on O'Toole. Like, you know, it's it's not his fault that Ulster lost. I no. think just over, um, over over the 160 minutes, I think those 10 last 10 minutes in the first leg were crucial. Yes, I, I would agree. And I kind of, when there were 13 points ahead in France and you thought, right, the clock's ticking down here. This is a really good, you know, this is, the, this is giving them a really good opportunity of a place mm. in the quarterfinals. And you would have had, and I agree with you, I don't think Toulouse 13 points down would have come to Belfast to win. I suppose Toulouse have had the experience where they have come to Belfast previously and won games. So it maybe didn't hold the same maybe fear as, as mm. some teams talk about. But when the game finished with a six with, with a six point advantage, you're kind of going, mm, if Toulouse come to Belfast and keep four, and keep fifteen players on the pitch and play the way they played here, they will they will win. I I genuinely believe that if Toulouse had had fifteen men on the pitch in, in France, Ulster might have been looking at coming back. The game might have been well gone before they even they even got yeah. Belfast, you know, and that's and that's been respectful to Toulouse because they are such a quality side and the way they and the way they played and I really I really enjoy I do a bit of coaching with Minis and, and my, my eldest boy's son not a lot but you watch Toulouse and you watched how they managed that game when they went to 14 players the straight line defence straight line attack moving the ball around all the time and it's something you're trying to think that's something that I must maybe try to instill in, in, in the young boys now going ahead not, in the, not when they're down to 14 players but with 15 players on the pitch um, but I think you're right. I think the, the game was lost when in those last few minutes in, in Toulouse. And again, I think there was that opportunity Ulster had when, when Toulouse were throwing the ball around in their own line and getting caught in their own line. That needed to be managed much, much better. And, and, and that was a turning point for me, the fact that Toulouse got out of jail there when yeah. Ulster should have turned the screw on them. Leinster would have turned the screw in a situation like that. Munster would have turned the screw in a situation like that. Ulster just didn't quite manage to do that. And that was a crucial point to it. In, in fairness, I, I know we're talking about one isolated point. There, there are other points that Ulster could have taken advantage on. But Dan actually made a great point in post-match. You know, Antoine Dupont has a cannon of a boot. Like the guy can kick at fifty meters and make it look effortless. Yes, <laughs> no, and you you do look at I, I mean you look at that time under under his own posts he puts the ball forty five meters down the pitch and you're kind of going right okay so we've got to go again you know yeah. and it, it it does demoralizing for a team when they've gone oh we just put all that pressure in, and now we're we're back in the halfway line again. And it's funny because Dupont's the kind of guy who because you're so used to him having all these game breaking moments over the two legs you sort of thought to yourself he hasn't been at his best because it took it up until what the 155th minute of the tie to have that game-breaking moment of going over for the winning score but actually whenever you look back he just does everything so well you know his pass is like a bullet he has that great support line for Intimac whenever he makes that break for the first try and then obviously he wriggles over for the for the final try now it's Probably not his greatest moment, you know, Ulster were very stretched in defence at that point. But I think one of the things that whenever we look at a world player of the year, you think he's got to have all these game-breaking moments from minute one to minute 80, but he just does everything right. And then he comes up with that one moment that just reminds you why he has so much quality. Yep. No, no, you're absolutely right. And when you have the likes of Anton Macroff and Ramos there, I mean, you're talking about half the French national side and they won a Six Nations this year, Grand Slam. So um, I think it, it kind of stands on its own with that. And, and it makes sense that Anthony Jolange was one of the guys who stepped up for them as well, you know, coming off the bench in the first leg, but I thought he was immense in the second leg, yeah. playing at open yeah. side. Um, any arguments on the O'Toole red card? None at all, no. I mean, no. it's probably something, I, probably something we can talk about later. I mean, I, I did note over the two weekends, the number of cards that were brandished for high tackles. And it is something that I was really surprised at at this level, that that is still happening. Um, I think Rob Herring was probably lucky as well. Maybe, you know, um, you look at Robert Balakun. I mean, we all we were all raving about Robert Balakun. Even the French were raving about Robert Balakun the week before mm. the way he's... I mean, three tries. And, and um, Media Olympics team of the week. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You know, so... 
Um, it was a story of two wingers over the two legs. Ethan McElroy mm-hmm. then takes his opportunity. A lot of people were kind of going, oh, playing Ethan instead of maybe Rob Little. Um, strong. Ethan McElroy, I thought, stepped up to the mark. Yeah, maybe missed a couple of things in defence, but I thought Ethan McElroy had a had a fantastic game. And yes. you were hoping that, and you were hoping that Robert would get into the game more, and he didn't, you know, because I'm one of these people who has this argument at the minute about the Irish team, James Lowe or Robert Balakoon. And Robert Balakoon scores three tries one week and then does nothing the next week. James Lowe scores, was it, seven tries over two, yeah. two legs. <laughs> you, you almost wonder if that was a deliberate Ulster tactic. You know, after Balakoon being so good, do you try and not, not take him out of the game altogether, but you use him more as deception to yeah. open up space for others because you know Toulouse are going to be clued in on yes. everything he's yeah. doing this yeah. week. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to watch it back a little bit closer yeah. to... Yeah, try and look at that, but certainly yes, Balakun wasn't in the game as much uh, as he was last week. Um, I completely agree on McElroy. By the way, that one-handed take over his head oh, for that that crossfield kick, beautiful, absolutely yeah. superb, one of the best finishes I think you'll see at Ravenhill this season. Yeah, and I also think the loss of Burns was probably crucial to Ulster as well. Billy was playing very, very. I thought mm. Billy was directing things very well in both legs. Um, thought he was directing things very well, and I think. Him going off, Ulster lost a wee bit of that, his kicking ability. And I know he's he's taken some criticism this year, but if you look back to last year when Ulster were going through the European Challenge Cup, he was such an important player for them um, and was one of the reasons why they almost got to a final. And and if you're looking back, you know, if we, a lot of people were talking about the disappointment they had at the weekend because this was an opportunity for Ulster. Here we are again, a year on from almost a year on from them losing to Leicester in a semi-final, a game which they had they had it there at halftime and managed to let it slip. And here was another game where in the at halftime at the end of the first leg, they let it slip again. And you're just beginning to wonder now, they talk about, oh, we've got this great lot of young players coming through and it's for the future and whatnot. It's about now. And, you know, 10 years ago, we talked about the great, young talent that was coming through in Ulster 10 years previous to that when we were talking about the great young blood Ulster still have not managed to get over that line yet mm-hmm. and it's it's getting frustrating now and you actually are, are looking at them kind of going is it actually going to happen and they're not a top eight side in Europe yet they're one of the best in Europe but they're not one of those top eight yet and you could argue that maybe the, the quarter finals this year well you've got the leaders of each of the leagues that compete in it all in this all in the quarterfinals, you've got to lose the reigning champions, you've got La Rochelle who lost in the final last year, Leicester, oh, I mentioned Leicester was there top of the yeah. table and the Monster, yeah. Monster have won it two years, our previous winners of the competition it's not a bad, the quarterfinals are not a bad lineup, you know mm-hmm. and I almost wish there were two-legged affairs I'll just throw that one in there but that's, that's, oh. that's another discussion we'll get, we'll get on to that, hold that thought <laughs> But, but I think from an Ulster point of view, you know, you, I think the coaching setup is, is is excellent. I think the squad they have is good. Um, they've brought in Vermeulen. I think he maybe didn't show up as much, maybe as I would have liked to have seen him on Friday night. Maybe he needs or Saturday night. Maybe he needs a wee bit of a break. I don't know. But they have they have got a really good squad, and I think they will see this as another golden opportunity that they let go because they they would have had a home quarter final mm. and they could possibly have had a, a home union semi-final. Um, it's just getting to get over the line. It's, it's got very frustrating. It's got very frustrating. When I, whenever I was sort of sitting down and thinking about some of the stuff I might say during the podcast, I did think to myself, look, it's disappointing, sure, but it's another sign of progression for Ulster. But it's a very good point that you make that Ulster have been talking for so long about, oh, we've got all these talents coming through. At what point do you say to yourself, Lowry's now in Ireland International, Balakoon's now in Ireland International, Hume is now in Ireland International, these guys that you're sort of basing your youth argument around, that you're still building around these guys are now actually international players. There's not too many more that you're now saying, well, okay, you're coming through, you're coming through, and you're going to be internationals. The guys that you're saying that about have now made the step up to internationals. So at what point do you say we are now at that stage of we should be pushing into the top eight of Europe, and ideally we should be pushing up even 
higher than that and we should be competing yeah. for trophies because you know as you said earlier Toulouse for me didn't threaten massively in the second leg you know you had that one moment of magic from Intimac where he slips a tackle and they're under the posts like Toulouse can do and have done many times in the past but apart from that their two tries come from an intercept on their own 22 which is just a great piece of opportunistic work by Intimac and whenever I'll stir down to 14 men on any side in the world from Leinster to if you got Toulouse to play Crusaders um would struggle against Toulouse with 14 men. You know, it's it's just really hard to deal with that onslaught of power and pace whenever you've got one less man in the defensive line. So at what point, I, I think you've, you've 100% got to say that Ulster have missed an opportunity here. And I think it was refreshing that Dan didn't sort of fall back on that belief of, oh, it's good progress. He was just very blunt and honest and straight up and said, this was, is an yes. opportunity missed. Because it was. So I, I think at some point you've got to say, you know, we've got to turn these disappointments into wins. Like they should have beaten Leicester last year. Arguably, you should have beaten Toulouse this time around. At what point do you stop turning shoulds into we did? I mean, you look at the URC now, and I mean, you're you're basically talking about Ulster are likely to finish second, hopefully finish second to Leinster in the league. Now that's important from a, a rankings point of view for the quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. But if you if, if, if you take it back a year, even go back to the, the last time the European quarterfinal, Ulster lost to Leinster down in Dublin, a game that, you know, arguably they were so close to winning and possibly should have won it on the day because they were the better team, but they just couldn't get over those last couple of inches. Last year against Leicester, you know, they had the game and the I mean, they had one foot in the final at, at, at Twickenham. And I was so excited because here, I'm going up the road to Twickenham. I'm going to see Ulster playing in a final. And again, it just they couldn't get over that, that last inch. Now, this year, Ulster have beaten Leinster twice in the league. Haven't they? They have. Yep. Yes, just double, I was just double-checking. Yeah, they have beaten them twice in the league. So they've, they've got over that hurdle of beating Leinster. Now, it wasn't a full-strength Leinster side on both occasions, but then... When do you say that whatever team Leinster doesn't put out isn't quite as good as their as their as a, I mean their A and their B teams are very very similar. So Ulster have now gone toe to toe with Toulouse in Europe, haven't been well beaten in the quarterfinals previously. They've lost out by a point. It's a fine margin, and in those two games, it was the fine margins that really hurt Ulster. It wasn't from bad play. Okay, there was a red card, but that it's it's part and parcel of the game now. If you go I, you're going to get carded. You're on that risk. So they're not far. They are not far away from it. And you just feel if they had reached the European Challenge Cup final last year and maybe even had won it, they would have got over that hurdle. And that's it's just it's a small, small step, but it is so big. Mm. Julian Funis. I'm going to assume it's Funis. Hmm. It might be Funes. Uh, I don't know. Gareth had that. Gareth had that discussion before about how he was pronounced. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be in touch to say it was awful or it was very good. Please, please uh, look. Knowing my track record, it's probably awful. Um, <laughs> he asks on Twitter, with a trophy being the measure of success, how do we now measure the success of this season for team, coaching staff, and individuals? For me, I think that this question depends on how you look at Ulster as a whole. Do you consider this Ulster team to be one that can compete for trophies? Because we've got to bear in mind that Ulster are still in the reckoning for a trophy. Like they're still in the mix in the URC. They are still the team in possession of second. And if they win out, they will finish second at worst. So I think there's sort of layers to this question of, if they won the URC at the end of the season, would you consider that a success? If they didn't, would you consider it a failure? Yeah, it's a hard one because you, you basically look at Europe and you say, well, there's another European season of failure. But it's, but it's not. I mean, Ulster, Ulster had won five games in a, in a row in Europe this year. And they went to Claremont and they won in Claremont. A year ago, they couldn't win in Claremont, you know. And so, yes, they didn't win a trophy. I mean, in the European Challenge Cup, 
everybody, first of all, poo-pooed it because it's the Challenge Cup. But then you see the teams that are in the Challenge Cup. They had to play Harlequins away. They had to play Northampton away. And they had to play Leicester away. And they, and okay, Harlequins had their focus on the league and they weren't that worried about the Challenge Cup. Fair enough. Also went out. But also went out and they did a job on Harlequins. I mean, they went out. They didn't go, well, there we're, oh, we're not, we'll just ease off here. But they went out and they did a, a mm. damn good job against Harlequins last year. Mm-hmm. And they went out to Northampton. And they did a job on Northampton. And they went to Leicester and they did a job in the first half and just didn't quite get over the line. I saw that as progress. And I think they learned from the, Le- the Leicester defeat going into this season. If they don't win the URC, is it a failure? I don't think it is because they are competing um, and they've beaten Leicester twice this year. The South African games away from home proved Difficult for them. And okay, a refereeing decision obviously cost them a win there. But I don't think not winning the league is a failure. If they finish in second place and they get a home quarterfinal and they win, and you get to the semifinals and you're at home and you win, and if you get to the final and lose, I don't think it's a failure. But you do expect Ulster to be at least one of the top four teams at the very end of it. And that has to be a semifinal minimum. Personally, I would like to see them going for a final. And mm. if it was Leinster, what better what better way than for Ulster to make a statement to say, right, we're now playing Leinster in the final of the URC. We've beaten you twice this year. We're going up against your full strength side and winning them. That is a statement to make. You know, that's really one of the Yeah. I still don't think this Ulster side is quite at the level where they're going to be competitive in Europe. I think there are still too many teams that are ahead of them which yeah look that I'm, I'm not saying that's like an excuse for them not getting through the last 16 like they should have got through but I still don't think this team is quite ready to win the Champions Cup yet I think yes anything less than well to, to be honest like at this stage I think anything less than a final in the URC is probably verging on not reaching your expectations, especially the position that they're in at the moment. Like from here, they really should be finishing out the season, especially now that they've only got the one track mind in terms of it's the URC or bust. They should be closing out the season, at least in the top two. You've got home advantage through the knockouts, and then you've got a final probably against Leinster. But I think this team still has a little bit of a way to go. And I know that kind of flies in the face of what we said earlier, but for me, for me, there's still just something missing from this Ulster team, along with the mentality. Like they've they've got to work on that mentality of getting over the line in the big games. But still, I think there, there's just that something missing. Like with Toulouse, I think you saw they they were able to use that par, but as well as that, their forwards were able to play ball. Ulster's forwards are able to play ball, but they don't have the same par. I think the backs are extremely creative and they've got a lot of guys with X factor in that back line. And that's even without Will Addison and Jacob Stockdale who have been missing for most of the season. But I think that there's just that little something. And I just, it, it frustrates me actually, because I can't quite place my finger on exactly what it is. And I, I think you're still looking at a team that is trying to make its way in in Europe and just trying to find that little that little extra thing. They're not far away, but well, they're not. And I mean, you mentioned there about terms of progress. And you look at all our teams around them. And I remember last year ahead of the semi-final talking to Steve Brothwick, the Leicester game in the Challenge Cup. And I was basically saying to him, you know, you and Ulster are probably on a similar type of journey of rebuilding, if you like, progressing. Um, and Leicester stepped on and okay they lost in the final I mean it was there I, I thought they should have won the final they didn't use their power they were playing Montpellier right enough so um, you know and, and they turned up again on that night but where are Leicester now they're sitting top of the top of the premiership you know and Ulster are not too far away from it and they're they're, they're second to Leicester and as you say it's that trajectory you're looking at and, and Ulster just they're just falling short at at the most important times it's, it's those big big occasions that they just seem to fall short they can do it week in and week out we've seen it in the urc we've seen it in europe this year they can put on back-to-back results but it's when it comes to that one crucial 
excitement in a big stage, they just can't seem to quite get over the line. And 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 when they and when they do that, I think they can go on and they will be a trophy one inside on a regular basis. Just to quickly look at some of the other ties in the Champions yep. Cup over the weekend. Um we mentioned it earlier, Harlequins Montpellier outside of Ulster Toulouse, that was probably the tie of the weekend. Like what mm. a finish. Humdinger of a game and uh, just um, just amazing and some fantastic rugby and Montpellier turn around and decide they're going to change their complete team and everybody's going ah right happy days and uh, lo and behold they turn up and oh they've come to play some rugby and they did and what what a match um, fourteen points was too much in the end and you do feel for Harlequins I mean it was they, they were one. They were one kick away yeah. from making the quarterfinals. I think that had been a worse situation than Ulster would have found themselves in, you know. Probably. <laughs> if somebody had come down to a kick. Um, I actually think the Bristol Seal game on the Friday night was another mm. clinker of a game. It was the boar fest of the weekend before. I sat and watched it and I thought, what a boring, boring game of rugby for Europe, for European action. And they turned around and it was absolutely a crazy, crazy night. Um, and a great game of rugby as well. I, I feel bad, just to very quickly go back to the Quince Montpellier game, I feel really bad for Marcus Smith because he's going to be the one that everyone unloads on says you're at fault for missing that kick. Very similar to Tom O'Toole. Look, yep. it, it obviously contributed to the defeat, but... The game was lost in other areas, not just in yeah, that. Yeah, it case, was. Yes, you know. it was. And I mean, and I mean, if you look at Marcus Smith, look at that that try he set up. He oh, takes a run from sensational! Unbelievable, you know. And try of the season contender. Yes, absolutely. You know, and um, look, a one point loss again overall in aggregate. Harlequins win the home game. Fine lines. Fine lines. On that two-legged system, you alluded to it earlier in the podcast. Yeah. What do you think of it? Yeah, I have to admit, I was a bit sceptical about it. I mean, I, I remember in the old Challenge Cup days when Connor played two-legged affairs and knockout stages and whatnot, and I was a bit sceptical about it because simply in rugby, something can happen, as we've seen in the Six Nations. A red card early in a game can absolutely turn a game on its head. Okay, it didn't quite in the Ulster-Toulouse game, but there are so many things that can happen, permutations that, in a match that can skew your first leg. Having watched the first legs and kind of seen the results, you thought, right, well, there's three teams that are guaranteed their place. There's one that probably will do it and the other ones are in the balance. Then Saturday, sorry, then Friday arrives and you start watching rugby and Leicester Connacht. And I mean, it wasn't a surprise that Leicester defeated Connacht at home. I think we would have been absolutely shocked if Connacht had won that game. Um, cards come into, their, into play in that as well, but you know, Leinster, 82 points to 41 over the two legs. Mm, doesn't look, it doesn't look good. But then again, the first leg was still in the balance, so that was good. Um, Bristol and Sale, nice and tight from the first leg and served up a humdinger of a game. Harlequins, Montpellier, 14-point difference. Is 14 points the most, most you need to have in rugby in a two-legged affair? Possibly. Um, it's maybe too much for a team to come over and mm. try and claw that back. It's it, it's a lot. It's it's a couple of seconds for a try to be scored, but you've got to be able to, to create the opportunities to score those tries. La Rochelle, um, and I watched that more for the fun between the, 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 the two sides and the fans and whatnot, because if there's ever a Russia's atmosphere, my goodness, Bordeaux and La Rochelle are not, are, not, are not friends. And of course, you had the backdrop with them playing in the top 14 the weeks before mm. where... O'Gara and your man have a bit of a spat on the sideline and whatnot, which was all very interesting. Munster are extra chiefs, five-point difference. Okay, Munster got the job done at home, but again, another another good game. Leicester, okay, 56-27. Leicester got a tight enough at home, but they won. Ulster to lose, we've talked about. And then Racing and Stad, which we kind of thought that's only going to go one way. And it, okay, in the end, it did, but it turned out to be a, to be another good game of rugby. We've, um, we've spoken about that one. We've all yeah, watched it. Yeah. Wink, and, wink. <laughs> you know, the two-legged affair, I probably wouldn't want to see it again. I probably wouldn't want to see it as a regular feature, to be fair. It does add to it. And saying that, I wish now they haven't seen the way those 
two rounds went, those two legs went at the quarterfinals were two-legged affairs because that would make it really, really interesting. And maybe even mm. the semifinals as well. But I think what we have to remember is it was a result of the COVID situation that this new format came in. And if you go back to last year, Toulouse won the European Cup having only played five matches. You know, they only played two pool games and then three knockout games. Fair play to them. If you look at it this year, a couple of teams in the quarterfinals have probably Toulouse being one of them. I mean, Seal, Seal only won two games in the pool stages and they find themselves in the European Cup quarterfinals. So yeah. it's you've got to remember that it's COVID-related. So I think they need to go back to the old situation of pools, winners, runners-up, best. I think that does paint a better picture because if you can come through your group winning five games or winning all six games, then you have earned your right to be in a quarterfinal. This format, again, if you look at the teams who are in the quarterfinals, it's probably not the best yet in Europe at this present moment in time. But again, Leicester Tigers, former winners. Um, Leinster Rugby, former winners. Stad Toulouse, last year's champions, five times winners. Monster Rugby, regular quarterfinalists, two times winners. La Rochelle, beaten in the final last year. Top of um, Montpellier, that's going to be a cracking game, La Rochelle and Montpellier. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Montpellier, top of the top 14, won the Challenge Cup last year. Rossi 92, we know their pedigree. Sale's probably the odd one out there, and you're kind of going, Seal only won two games in their pool stages, and they're in a European Cup quarterfinal. And, you know, fair play to them. Um, I don't think they're going to get much change when they go to go to Paris. Yeah, I'm sure. But, I'm sure Ulster looking at some of the other teams and thinking we lost one game and we're out in the last sixteen, and you, yeah. you guys have lost four or five and you're into the quarterfinals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and you've got to remember, Leinster didn't get to play all their pool games because of the COVID situation. So it's and again, then that that probably skewed the draw mm-hmm. for it if, if if everybody had played, but then would have Ulster finished in second place. Uh, there's a whole lot of arguments around it. Yeah. I'm not, I thought the rugby served up over the past two weekends was absolutely brilliant. And certainly probably the two legs did add an extra dimension to that. Would I be a fan of it in the future? Not if they have a proper structure in place for, if, if you qualify from your group, as I mean, as Ulster did in it was 2016, they finished first in their group. They won all six games, top seeds. Okay, they were, they were lucky they ended up playing Saracens in the quarterfinals, that's just the luck of the draw. But mm-hmm. it's a Champions Cup. It should be competed between the best. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the key point. The post stages have been completely diluted because of COVID, and you'd really like to hope that they go back to what they were. And I, from what I've heard, I think clubs are pushing for it to go back to what it was before because the way this works is you just have a lot of I don't really think there's any other way to put it other than unfair schedules where some teams will play slightly easier opposition. Some teams will play slightly tougher opposition. Like you think back to last season where Ulster uh, were coming in as I, I believe the second seeds in the URC and got Toulouse and Gloucester, you know, that's, yes. that's not exactly yeah. a, a fair representation of what you should no. be getting as second no. seeds. So if you go to, or if you go back to the regular system of six pools, four teams, or however many pools you want to have, uh, and the the top team go through and however many best runners-up go through, that's a better system. And then you go straight into the quarterfinals. If there's scope to make them two legs in the quarterfinals, potentially from there, maybe. maybe. I, I think I think there's I been enough there's been enough games that have gone to the wire this time around yeah. that I think would at least allow them to have the conversation. Personally, I would be fine with just single legs. I think you got to give teams a reward for winning their pools. You, and... you know, I think if you, I think if you win your pool and, and and you win your six games in your pool and you qualify as the top six, you have every right to have a home. You you, you have earned a home draw yeah. because you've played probably one of the best sides in England, one of the best sides in in France. So you you have earned the right to have a home quarterfinal and the right to have a home advantage in some form in the semi-final. And I think two legs takes <clears throat> it takes away. I don't think they could fit it into the schedule. And I mean, next year you've got a World Cup as well. So it's yeah. going to be a, a difficult season. And I think you've got to have player welfare in mind. But I think, go back to the old format, um, I sometimes think they, they reduced it to five 
or to 20 clubs, five pools, which was probably mm. a, a good idea because it took out the the chance of having a weak team in a pool, which could skew it. Um, although, are there many weak teams out there? I don't think they can expand it. Maybe they should reduce it. Maybe it should be four pools of four teams, just 16. That would tighten things up a bit. At least then you have a straightforward, you have eight teams going through, you're runner, winners and runners-ups in the group. Mm. And there's no none of this that I, the best third place, second place teams and all that kind of carry on. You know, it's, it's a straightforward format. Um, might work better, but I, the, the novelty of the two legs, it was an experiment. We didn't get the chance, to, it was proposed last year, we didn't get a chance to see it because of the COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. There will be some teams who, I mean, I noticed after the first round, a lot of people were saying, oh, this, this should have been just a knockout game. One game, one at it. Yeah, also wanted to lose and they beat them. Fair play. But any of the teams who were saying, oh, this is not, or any of the fans who were complaining about, oh, I wish it wasn't two legs, their teams have won the first legs. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny that. <laughs> Well, put it, put it this way: I was I was very against the two leg system yeah. before the weekend, before the two weekends, and I'd ha- I have to say, look, I haven't been swung over to the yeah, let's have two legs for sure, but I've certainly grown to see the positives of it yes. over the last yeah. couple of weeks, and I think I that's that's probably the best way to put it. And let's leave it and park it yeah. and never yeah. address it again. I think please. you're right. I think, <laughs> I think just I don't want to expand anymore. But I think. You would need to see it over a number of seasons to really, you know, balance it over three or four seasons because next year you could get the same, similar games, but a lot of them are finished after the first leg or maybe after the second leg. Um, you know, they, they won't have the excitement and drama that maybe came about at the weekend, but leave it be for now, I think. Of course, Ulster are back in action this weekend. Yes. We have to swiftly move back into URC action straight after the Toulouse game. Munster are coming to Ravenhill on Friday night. Massive game to get them back into action uh, after being knocked out of Europe. Big Jim asks on Twitter, with a single focus for the rest of the season, will Ulster crush Munster as required? That's very strong language there, Jim. Uh, and work their way to a final versus Leinster. We we did sort of touch on this earlier, but I think given the fact that Ulster's only trophy to go for now is the URC, I think this weekend you kind of have to be drilling into the guys. It's a must win. We have to bounce back. It's an inter-pro we can't afford to lose any more ground in the race for second because now if we don't finish second this season, you're you're probably looking at the end game of the season being a disappointment. You know, if, if com- coming out of the Six Nations, if you said to Ulster, you'd be knocked out in the last 16. I don't, I don't think too many people would have been massively shocked if you said Ulster would be knocked out in the last 16 by Toulouse. But um, if you said you'd be knocked out in the last 16 of Europe and you wouldn't finish second, I think Ulster would have been very concerned if you'd said that to them immediately coming out of the Six Nations. I think that's that's the other thing about Europe. I mean, Ulster Ulster win their four pool games and they end up playing to lose in the quarter in the last round of sixteen. You're kind of going, it was like the year that they that they topped their group um, with Mark Anscombe in charge and they end up playing Saracens at home who are just starting to come up. You know, and, and you kind of think that looks against them. But yes, you're absolutely right. They've got three fixtures left. Um, in the URC, it is very, very tight for second, third, fourth, and fifth. Um, Munster are three points behind. Ulster can't, Ulster simply can't lose any of those games. Um, Munster at home, I don't, I wouldn't worry, I wouldn't be worrying about smashing Munster. I, you, you're not going to make any big statements mm. by smashing Munster. Um, you beat Munster, you make the statement, right? We have recovered from a major disappointment. Um, and that's that's my big fear is how Ulster bounced back from last weekend and his team selection. I just hope he doesn't tinker about too much and rest players. I th- I think there will be a real desire in that dressing room to want to want to get straight back out there and have another chance. Like Ian Henderson was saying in in post game, guys will take different amounts of time to get over a result like that. Some guys will 
process it in their minds sitting in the dressing room straight after the game. And by the time they walk out the gates of the stadium, it'll be gone. Some guys will dwell on it for a couple of days. And by the time they come back into training on Monday morning, they'll be ready to go again. Some guys that'll dwell with them for a week. This is where coaching becomes a real uh, game of chess, essentially, where you have yeah. to try and assess with your players who is ready to go again this week and who maybe needs to take a week off just to process what they went through with Europe. There will be guys who will be banged up that probably need a week off just because of the immense physicality that you go yes. through playing against Toulouse. Yes. But there are some guys who will have banged straight back into training on Monday morning, gone, get me back in the team, get me back ready to go and get me in that starting lineup on Friday night. So the there's almost a psychological impact that you have to assess this week of, is this guy ready to go? Is he going to give me a hundred percent or is he still stuck in last week? Yeah, no, I think, I think the big thing about it is you have an opportunity straight away to go out and play another game of rugby against a team now who are in the quarterfinals of Europe and the field. I mean, I hate using this word, make a statement, but I think they, they just need to go out and win. The fans may not turn out an 18,000, but the, but the loyal fans who were there last week and left very disappointed and frustrated, they will be back this week to roar them on again. And they want to see them making the progress. And I think the players will re, will will react to that as well. Um, and it's monster. It's an inter-pro game. Um, you don't have to get yourself up for one of those. But it is, it is a must-win game for Ulster. Um, forget about bonus points and things at this point. You have to win these three games. Um, they go to Edinburgh, which will be a tricky enough encounter. Edinburgh are in the mix there. They're fighting to stay within the top eight. And then you have the Sharks coming to Belfast. Again, they're fighting at the moment. This, there's, there's games being played elsewhere that will have an impact on the, on the standings and the table, but the Sharks are coming to Belfast. Those are three games they have to win if they want to maintain second place. I don't think nobody, I don't think anybody's going to catch Leinster. You don't have the diversion of Europe because you have these games coming up, then the European games are played, and then the URC knockout games are played. And I just hope that the break for Ulster doesn't impact them. Yeah, well, we've seen them before when they've stopped and then having to come back. It can't. Sometimes we've seen that happen with them, and that would be my fear. But let's let's not let's not preempt what's going to happen. Let's let's get the win against Munster on Friday night, and it's by one point. It's by one point. That's all you need to get you through to lose. To lose, approve that you only need one mm-hmm. to win by one point to get you. And points. It's important, and I mean Ulster have to finish second in this league to give them a really good shot at going for that trophy, which we feel they need to at least get to the final of this competition. Yeah, we should just point out that Ulster now only have one game in May because they've been knocked out of Europe, uh, which is that Sharks game on, I believe, May yep. 21st. So they've got... That's right, yes. They've, they've got a bit of time to sit and dwell and watch some other action that they were probably hoping that they were playing in. Yeah. Um, Ulster v Munster is at Ravenhill at 7.35pm on Friday night. You can follow all the action on the Belfast Telegraph website. As per usual, I will be on live blog duty also as per usual. Just quickly before we go, uh, the Women's Six Nations is back this week. I'm not giving it a sponsor this week because I, I still can't get my head around the fact that a social media platform sponsors it. TikTok! Okay, thanks Richard. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, Ireland are heading to Welford Road to face England. I mean, look, we, we've spoken about this on the podcast before about the disparity between women's rugby in England and women's rugby in Ireland. And you even have to look at the results in the tournament so far this season. Ireland have won one of their first three games. England have won all three of their games by an aggregate score of roughly around 180 points. So it's 57-5 away to Scotland, 74-0 away to Italy, and 58-5 against Wales at home. So look, Ireland coming into this game without a lot of their sevens players who are now away uh, playing in the World Series against a team who are probably going to go into a Grand Slam decider against France in the final round. 
I think in this game you're probably looking at Ireland just want to come away with some sort of signs that they are moving in the right direction or there are areas that they were competing with England for long periods of the game because to come away with a win from this would probably be one of the shock results of the women's Six Nations of all time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Ireland are not going to win this game. Um, I think the scheduling as well, <laughs> the sevens is on. I mean, give the we, girls we, a chance. We, t- we, t- we talked about this a little bit last week. Of right. they've, yes, they've moved, did. yeah, they've moved the Six Nations in order to give it its its own slot so that it's not competing which with is the right. men's Six Nations, which is right. Yeah, which is right. But the problem is then by moving it to this time, you then have it clashing with yeah. the Sevens. And it's not an issue for other nations because they have that distinction of you have your professional 15s contracts and you have your Sevens contracts, whereas Ireland at the moment are drawing on their Sevens players who their contracts take priority for the sevens yes. game. So it's it's a bit of a catch-22, but as we've said, it's not the wrong thing to move the one Six Nations to its own slot, but this is the this is sort yeah. of the deal that Ireland have had to cut. Yeah, and it's, it's a tricky. I mean, I read an article just before the Six Nations with the English captain. I can't remember her name, but I, I read through it. I'm basically talking about England's dominance and how they probably will at least win the championship or as you have mentioned there, they're going to end up playing France for a, a decider and um, somebody get a grand slam and somebody will finish second. Um, it was the talk about ruthlessness and that, you know, if we're 15-0 up against the side, we're not taking the foot off the throttle. We're going to go and we're going to smash them. And as we saw against Italy, they put 74 points on them. I think people have to realise that when they see the scoreline this weekend, I'm looking maybe, maybe doing, them, doing our own girls injustice, but I think People shouldn't kind of look at the scoreline and go, all right, okay, we're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. That's not the case. This is an Irish side in transition, and they're missing some of the, they're missing some of their key players. As you say, I think we just want to see a bit of progress made across the across the board. England are going to win this weekend. I would be very surprised if they didn't. It's just it's probably damage limitation for Ireland to a degree, um, but in a positive way. Yeah, and the. Interesting you mentioned that that quote about ruthlessness. I think the way that teams learn how to compete with sides like England and France is by England and France going at them for yeah. for the full 80 minutes and not, not easing up just for the sake of we don't want to rack up a score against them. You know, the way that you learn how to compete for 80 minutes with teams like England and France is by having England and France going for 80 minutes against you. And that's I think Ireland are going to get a real test of where this team are. And we've seen progression through the tournament. We've seen progression from the Wales game to the Scotland game to the Italy game where they got the win and they deserved that win. They played well in that game against Italy. Sorry, I said said Scotland there. I said Scotland, I meant France. Um, France. No, but it'll it'll show them where, I mean, they will know from watching tapes of England where they need to, where they need to be, but when you come up against them face to face and get stuck in there and the rocks and the, the breakdowns and all the bits and pieces, it'll give them an idea of where they need to get to. And it may even get the coaches to say, "Well, look, we need a bit more of this, or we need a bit more of that to to help these girls progress further to where we want them to be." And you have to take the positives from games like this. You can't dwell on the negatives too much. Well, England play Ireland on Sunday. That's April 24th at 12 o'clock. That's noon on BBC Two. You can watch it on, or if you're south of the border, you can also watch it on RTE and Virgin Media. And we will have the report on the Belfast Telegraph website as well. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much, Richard, for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you on again. No, it's been good to be back. Um, And uh, I look forward to another big game on Friday night at Ravenhill. I don't know when I get over now. Um, dates are running out, um, mm. but but hopefully, I, 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 if I don't see you at a rugby ground, I maybe see you on a golf course. Well, you know, it's always nice to pander to our Harlequins fans on the podcast. So. <laughs> yes, are you are you getting back over to play any golf over the summer? I don't think I'm back till later on in the year. Um, I'm maybe tr- I'm trying to get over before that, but I, I know I'm back. I'm definitely back over in August, and I'll be back over in October. 
Um, hopefully, I'll start a range of home game that week when I'm when I'm there in October. You know, a decent one. <laughs> you, you may call Brent Cunningham and sort yeah, of work it out between you. <laughs> get get it started. <laughs> Richard, thank you very much for your time, as always. Very much appreciated. And thank you very much to all of you for listening. We hope you stay safe. We hope you enjoy the game on Friday night, and we will see you again very soon.